Hey, this morning we're going exploring, we're talking about finding God in the unexpected place. This is sort of like that, isn't it? What is the unexpected place? The unexpected place to the American Christian is where you already are. It may be closer to you than you think. The unexpected place are the people you already know. It's not an event. It's not something different. It catches you off guard because you're already there. Are you all ready for me to turn this off? How's that? You happy now? Wrong way. Turning your Bible to John chapter 4, I want to talk to you this morning about finding God in the unexpected place. The unexpected place is looking at those people who are near you, but far from God. People you already see, but may not have seen through God's eyes yet. If you get involved in the life of a non-Christian, I guarantee you, you'll find God there. We, we tend to interpret and tend to view the center of God's activity as in, the, as in the middle of the church. I want to suggest to you this morning that the center of God's activity is not in the church. The center of God's activity is in the earth, in the world, not in the dirt, in the, in the atmosphere. I'm suggesting to you that the center of God's Activity on earth is out in the middle of the harvest field. Let me give you a thought that will probably blow you away. It did when I heard it. 90%, percent of people who accept Christ in America today do not do so in a church service. It's a fact. It was printed in an enrichment magazine published by the Assemblies of God last year. 90%. If you look across the landscape of our nation and you ask, where is the work of the Holy Spirit? It's in the unexpected place. God's Spirit is stirring the lost. We live in one of the most spiritually intense seasons of American life. Now, a lot of it is spiritual confusion. But the openness to spiritual things is at a great height. And many people in America are registering it, but they don't know what to do with it, and they need someone to help them define it and to, and to help them see God in it. Now, in John chapter 4, I want to share with you a story you probably are familiar with. Jesus found his father at work in an unexpected place. The unexpected... Hey, guys. <laughs> Taking it out. You all happy now? The unexpected place. It wasn't unexpected to Jesus, but it was unexpected to his disciples. Jesus was on his way back to Galilee. He had to cut through Samaria on his way. He stops and sits down by a well and rests. Now, as we read this story, I'm going to read it in a way that you've probably never read it before. So, so I want to show you how, how to look at it, how to listen to it. Usually when you hear the story of the woman at the well, what is emphasized 
is the encounter that the woman has with Jesus. What I want to do is not focus so much on the encounter that the woman has with Jesus. What I want to focus on is everything else around it. Now, thinking about it that way, I don't want you to see this as like a three-point sermon, but I want you to feel this as a story with insights that we trip across as we go through it. Now, look at John chapter 4, and we'll, we'll look at it together. I'm going to jump. Uh, it's going to be very choppy. I'm going to go from verse 7, then I'll go to 15 to 31, but uh, we'll have it on the overhead for you. John chapter 4 Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, now look at the parentheses. What's in parentheses is important as well. His disciples had gone into town to buy food, so they were already gone. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now jump to verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Now flip over to verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Now go to 38 and 39 and we'll end there. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Let's walk through this story. The disciples are in town getting food. Jesus is sitting at a well resting. I wonder if the disciples as they were walking through the roads of Samaria, which if you know anything about the culture, Samaria was, um, to, to a pure Jew, considered to be uh, a disrespectable person because of their ethnicity. They, they viewed them as a, as a mixed breed between multiple ethnicities, and they weren't pure Jewish. And, and it was, um, they had no proper view. And so as they were walking through Samaria, there was great tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they were going in town to buy food. And I wonder if the thought crossed their mind, the Samaritans despise us. There's no way we can share the truth about Jesus here. There's no way there'll be a harvest in Samaria. I mean, the Samaritans are closed. They, they despise us. They'd never be open to hearing from us about God. Let's just get our food, get back to the well, and get out of here and go back to Galilee where we're from. Then we can get on with the important work that Jesus has called us to do. Here's one thing that was crystal clear from the beginning of this story. Now forget about the encounter and think about everything around it. The disciples saw evangelism 
as an event. And right then, they were off duty. They were on their way to get food. Jesus saw evangelism as a life. And the disciples were running errands and Jesus was on a mission. I wonder if that kind of thinking ever settles into American Christianity. I wonder if we ever approach the unexpected place that way. There can't be a harvest here. I mean, this is the Bible Belt. Everybody there is to be harvested has already been harvested. Everybody who hasn't been harvested has already made up their mind that they don't want to do that because they've had some presentation of the gospel. Let me give you the operative word in world missions. The operative word in world missions is go. Go be a missionary. Go on a missions trip. But listen, the operative word in local evangelism is not go. It's live. You're already here. The mission field has come home. You don't have to go. You just have to live. It's not an event. It's a life. In the meantime, Jesus shares with this woman more things. And then she, then as they talk, he tells her, Okay, go tell your husband. And, you know, She said, I don't have husbands. He said, that's right. You've got five husbands. Had five. And the man you're with now... It's not even your husband. Now, this woman, in the meantime, starts drinking this living water, and the other disciples come back from town with food. The woman runs into town after the disciples get there to tell everyone what happened. Now, the disciples are trying to get Jesus to eat something, and Jesus basically says, you already ate. Well, that just confused them. He said, I already ate. I have food you know nothing about. Well, what, what's he Stuffing stuff in his pockets? Where did he get food? I mean, why did we go in town to get food if you had food? Where did the food come from? And it makes them curious, so, so they say, wh- where did you get it? Jesus' answer is one of the most profound, eternal messages in Scripture. He says, my food is to do the will of my Father and finish His work. Now think about that for a minute. The joy of seeing this woman drinking living water so satisfied Jesus that he didn't even eat. Now think about what that means. About a month ago, a man in our congregation named David Grotsky, many of you know David, came to me and told me a story that blew me away. He said, man, I've been a believer about five years. And I feel like the Lord's moved me to a point that I just knew I had this burden for a friend that I worked with. And, and you know, I prayed and I just felt God's Spirit leading me. And he said, you know what I did? I just decided this morning, man, I got out of the car and I saw him. I said, hey, man, I need to talk to you. He said, at the same time, he said, I need to talk to you. (laughs) What is this about? And he said, before I could say anything, he said, man, I've been really going through a lot of stuff and I just wanted, it's been on my mind, I need to go to church with you. And David said, he just lost it. He just began to weep. Do you know what that is? Now listen, that's the unexpected place. You go out and engage with a person who doesn't know Christ And what's unexpected is, is that God's already been there. 
you actually meet him there. He was there before we got there. He was there before we thought about it. Let me tell you when church will be a joy to you. Let me tell you when the kingdom will become most fulfilling. When God uses you to share the message of life with someone who doesn't know Him. When you see those that you're sharing with start to take steps toward Jesus, the kingdom will be its deepest and most satisfying to you. Eventually, church and kingdom will seem like they're missing something if you only feed yourself and those who already know Christ. I've heard people since I was... Well, I guess since I came into the church at, at 15. Every state I've lived in, every church I've been in, every now and then you run across somebody. You know, I'm, I'm going to go over here to this, this church, this other church. Why are you going there? Well, I need to go somewhere and be fed. I wonder what Jesus would think about that. We don't have to wonder. He wrote it in the Bible. It's in John 4. So many times Christians say, I'm going to go over here where I can be fed. And while we continue to eat more and more sermons, Jesus' soul was eating the satisfaction of doing His Father's will. Which was to seek and save that which is lost. You can't make a dissatisfied person satisfied. But you find God in the unexpected place and get on an eternal mission with the work of the Holy Spirit and you see Him begin to move in the life of a person that doesn't know Him and your soul will be full. It'll be fed. It'll overflow with joy. Jesus' very next statement in this story, after saying, my food is to do the will of my Father, His very next statement is, look up. The harvest fields are white. My food is to do the will of my Father. Now look up. The harvest fields are white. Your food is to do the will of our Father. Look up, the harvest fields are ripe. As I read that story, it just dawned on me the location by which Jesus said that. Jesus said that in the middle of a nation, in the middle of a people group, in the middle of an ethnic group that the Jews would have considered unworthy of knowing God. And Jesus said, look on the faces of of the Samaritans. They are ripe and ready for harvest. You don't have to go anywhere else. Right here, right now. This was a very unexpected place for the disciples. What about the people you passed all the way into town to get the food? Unexpectedly, God was already dealing with them. Also in that statement, he says, look up. Jesus is saying to those men, if you look up, instead of focusing so narrowly on running errands and doing the things that you're doing, if you'll look up, you'll see what I see. And what I see is a harvest that's ripe. 
and is ready to be picked. Don't say four months more. It's not four more months. It's now and it's here. That was Jesus' message. It's now and it's here. It's not later and it's not somewhere else. It's now and it's here. I wonder how Jesus sees America. I wonder if it's possible in all we do that we've not looked up onto America the way that Jesus has. Did you know that the United States is the third largest unreached nation in the world? Did you know in the last decade, 28 million people have left the church? But let's bring it closer. Did you know that 54% of the people in Shelby County, Alabama, claim no religious affiliation? Over half. The unexpected place for the disciples was Samaria. The unexpected place for us is Shelby County. There are roughly 100,000 people in Shelby County, Alabama, who claim no religious affiliation. Basically, 100,000 people within driving distance of Kingwood Church. Jesus has looked up and he sees them. And it's not at all okay with him that they're a long way away from him. His heart is breaking. And we have to look up and see what he sees so that we can begin to feel what he feels so that we can begin to do what he does. Vision we take it all in, and then we walk it all out. As I read this story, I don't know why it hit me this way. Just some reflective questions crossed my mind that, that, I, that, I, that I wanted to ask myself. And, and as they did, I, I thought, they're probably good for you too. Here, here's... As you think about this story, ask yourself this question. When is the last time you planted seeds in someone's life who's far from God? When is the last time you saw your life as a mission field? Not evangelism as an event, but your life as a mission field. When's the last time you saw yourself as a missionary? When's the last time that, that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit flowed through you to touch someone who was lost? Did you notice in that story the Bible says that Jesus told that woman, or she thought everything I ever did, He said, you're right, you don't, you don't have a husband, you had five, and now the man you're living with is not your husband. How did He know that? It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How else would he know? It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's there ministering in the gifts of the Holy Spirit at this well on the side of the road to this Samaritan woman. How did he know that? The gifts of the Spirit were flowing through him. Let me tell you where I think the edge of the supernatural exists. The miraculous happens right on the edge of evangelism. 
right where light encounters darkness. The, the axe head, the blade, the thin line that God uses to cut through the dark world are the, is the supernatural. The supernatural gifts of God. So let me share with you this morning our vision for the unexpected places. Several things that we want to begin to do. Let me give you four, let me give you an evangelism strategy. The first is what I'll call prayer evangelism. In your bulletin, everybody has uh, maybe two or three prayer cards. A prayer card. And it just says explore and it's blank. What we're going to do this year is we're going to make a prayer list of 1,000 people who are disconnected from God who live within a driving distance of this church. And we're going to pray for them. The, the real work of evangelism begins in prayer. It begins in prayer. You've got that card throughout this service as one or two or three people come to your mind, just write their name here. And I'll tell you what to do with it in a little while. But as their name, as their face, as their situation, as their circumstance, here's the deal. They have to be within driving distance of our church. Because we want to find a way to throw all the evangelism heart of God we can find at them and watch the Lord do a powerful work in their life. So we're going we're gonna to make a list of a thousand people who don't know God and we're going to pray for them this year. Here's the second one. Prayer evangelism, presence evangelism. Presence evangelism. You understand that the, the eternal body of Christ is invisible. It, it's, it can't be seen with the naked eye. You and I, we can't see our soul. We can't see the eternal body of Jesus. The eternal body of Jesus is invisible. We have to wrap physical, tangible things on it to make it seen. So here's how we do that. We're going to do three or four serving events this year where we take the invisible church, move it out into the community. Because as people drive around the community, they just see buildings and stuff. But, the, but how do I know, how do those 100,000 people know that there's a, there's a visible reality of God's presence on the earth? We have to go where they are. We have to extend the Spirit of Christ into where they are. So we're going to do three or four serving events this year to serve our community. The first one is February 27th. And, and I'll talk to you about that as we go. When we were um, in Long Beach, Mississippi, Hurricane Katrina came in and, and hit the mailbox in front of our church on, on, in the last, last week of August in 2005, August 28th. That morning, I was dead in the middle of a series where we were casting vision for our church's future. On the platform, there was a banner about a quarter that size all the way down it. And it had the words, serve. And, it, and at 7 o'clock that Sunday morning, we made the decision 
to cancel that church service and tell everybody to evacuate. And by 9 a.m., there were hundreds of thousands of people jamming I-10, I-65, going out toward Texas, flowing everywhere, because that storm was coming in. I'll never forget the Thursday after Katrina, we went back in town. The sanctuary, the building had been shut and had weathered that storm and there was water damage and rain damage and wind damage and mildew and it smelled. And we pried the doors open of that front of our sanctuary like a vault. We looked in and shined a flashlight and I saw there that banner hanging that said, Serve. The message that the Lord had put on our heart for that day, we lived the next four years. And let me tell you what I learned from Hurricane Katrina. There is nowhere that a church cannot serve its way into. There's no door that won't open if you'll come in the Spirit of Christ and serve. Serving will unlock the heart and the door of the community. So here's what we want to do on February 27th. If we have about two to 300 people, the more the better. We can take as many as will come. But two to 300 people will, will have uh, matching shirts and will descend for three hours like an army on our community and find places to serve. Now, we'll organize it all. It'll all be ready before you get here. But let, let me give you the, uh, some ideas of the kinds of things that we can do. It sounds, it can sound like you're doing small stuff, but let me, let me tell you what it is and then show you the spiritual principle behind it. We can find those broken parts of our city that need cleanup, repair, restoration, that other people have neglected, that other people have brushed away, that they've dro drove by and forgotten. Everywhere that you look, people do fundraisers all over a community. You want to freak people out, go somewhere in the community where people do fundraisers and do something for free. They can't handle it. They can't handle it. Go do a, go, go do a free car wash. Well, well here, what are y'all raising money for? Nothing. Sorry, I can't hear good out of this ear. What do you want? Nothing. Well, people have to think about that for a little while. I'm not sure what that means. You kind of freak me out. One of the things that we did after our aftermath was cleaned up and we were moving into our community. <laughs> now check this out. We went to the local walk -a mall like the promenade. And we decided, how could we serve in the Spirit of Christ in this area? And here's what we decided to do. We said, you know the people who, who are least cared about in this entire walk -a mall are the employees of these stores. Most people see the employees of these stores not as humans, but as functions to get what they want. It's high consumerism. The spirit of consumerism is thick in the air. But you walk in there and say, hey, what's your favorite drink? Diet Coke, Coke, Sprite, or Dr. Pepper? And they tell you and you give it to them and say, we just want to tell you God loves you. Here, go to the next door. You will leave a string of freaked out people behind you. Because they'll go, 
What, what's that about? I have stood on the side of the road and handed out water to cars that go by. Now, it's so funny when you do it. I had a lady that couldn't handle not paying for it. I said, no, what, what, what are you, we're asking for nothing. What is this about? We're just trying to show people that God loves them. And you'd stand there and people would smile as they go by. When you invade an area of darkness with the Spirit of Christ, the atmosphere changes. And so what happened is, she's standing there with the, with the wind and the hair tight. I said, no, I'm not going to take the money. She rolled the one up that high and stuffed the money out and rolled it up and drove off. She couldn't handle it. So we gave it to missions. As I was standing, now listen to me for a minute, on that street corner, I looked over at some of the people serving with me and something dawned on me. Everybody in our society standing on a street corner is selling something. If you want to confront the spirit of consumerism, invade its turf with the spirit of Christ in generosity and just say, I'm just here to tell you, God cares about you. That's all I'm doing. I just want you to know God loves you unconditionally. You put 300 people in a two-mile square radius doing that, and you will spiritually start to impact the atmosphere, and the darkness will start to get crowded in on. Do you understand there are unchurched people in this county who don't care that we're going to have two services? You understand there are people who don't know God here who don't care that we have great services? Who will never care that we have dynamic ministries? But if we serve them and let them know that we care and ultimately that God cares, if we get in their world and show up where they don't expect us, if we move toward them in serving and showing God's unconditional love, then that consumeristic spirit is confronted and starts to be broken off. While the disciples are fighting over who's going to sit next to Jesus, Jesus is on the floor with a towel washing their feet. What is he trying to do? He's trying to penetrate their dark minds with the Spirit of Christ that says, you're going to have to go do this when I'm gone. We want to take the great missionary heart of Kingwood and turn some of it onto Shelby County. Presence evangelism. We've got to show up some places and serve. There's a lot of other ways too. We do trunk or treat. That's a great way to serve our community. Give children a safe place to go on Halloween. We're already doing that. We want to add another event this year that, that has been done in the past, but we want to focus it a little differently. We want to bring back the Celebrate America uh, event. But we want to find a venue, if we can, that's off our campus and in community space. And we want to serve the community and share the gospel at the same time. Now, remember I said to you, the invisible church has to find a way to be visible. George Barna says that only one out of every seven people can name the name of one church in their community. People who don't go to church. Only one out of seven can name the name of one church in their community. 
I wonder how many of the 100,000 people that claim no religious affiliation in Shelby County know the name of our church. I don't know. But there are things you can wrap inside evangelism that help. We're redoing our website. Next Sunday, log on to kingwoodchurch.com. We're launching a whole new website. And it will make us more visible. This year we're going to do, uh, as we did late last year, we're going to match with our evangelism efforts uh, attractive mail-outs to alert people that there's something happening spiritual in this community. We want to do prayer evangelism, presence evangelism, prophetic evangelism. Prophetic evangelism is where we actually share the gospel in word. It's not just an action. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an experience. We share the gospel in word. We're going to do four or five evangelism services this year. The first one's going to be Easter. I want to tell you now, invite somebody to one of our two morning Easter services. We are going to be sharing the gospel in a creative way. And then the last one is personal evangelism. Prayer, prayer evangelism, presence, prophetic, and personal. Personal is just relationship. Which one of those ought we to do? All of them. They all work together, and together they all make a dynamic impact. Now this morning, as we wrap this series up, our ushers are ready. Uh, ushers, would you... Make sure that everyone has a pledge card. Inside your bulletin, as we've said, um, we're asking you to make a, a monthly commitment for the next 12 months to support and fuel this vision. As we wrap this series up and launch into this vision for 2010, I want to share something with you. This, I believe the enemy has done everything he could think to do to distract and frustrate and undermine this very service. This is the last service in this vision. It's the last service in this series. It's the last Sunday of the fast. It's the day that makes it work or not work. And I believe he's done everything he can. <laughs> this week, our family personally has fought through more stuff. Last Sunday we left and we lost our car keys, house keys, and church keys. Gone. Somewhere in the corner of the universe with that other dress sock we've all been looking for. Tuesday, I get a call at lunch, and my wife says, you got to meet me at the emergency room. Our 12-year-old's broken his arm. So we went to the emergency room. He snapped both bones in his arm, and his hand looked like a, a, a deformed uh, alien limb. And we went to Sh uh, Shelby Memorial, and the doctor had to put him under anesthesia and had to snap it back in place. And he came up out of that medicine in a full sprint and about kicked the nurse in the head. Wednesday, we had to go to St. Vincent's to follow up on the appointment 
which led to another appointment that we had to go to Children's Hospital 6 a.m. on Thursday morning. We had to be there so that they could put him under anesthesia again and finish working it right. We were there seven or eight hours, and we got out of there, and we came home. And Friday we thought, all right, all the stuff that we hadn't been doing all week because we've been running to all the hospitals in Shelby County, we're now going to start catching up. Friday night, early Saturday morning at 2 a.m., our youngest son comes into our bedroom screaming his brains out. Never, I've never heard him scream like this from pain. He said, my side of my head is hurting so bad. It's hurting so bad, it's killing me. My ear's killing me. It's just killing me. We gave him Benadryl. We gave him Tylenol. We gave him everything we could think to give. He's a type 1 diabetic. His sugar levels have been the most uncontrollable this week that they've ever been in three years. They've been off the chart. 300, 400, 500. We have struggled and readjusted his insulin twice this week to try to fix it. His head's... I said, man, I, we gave him everything we think of. Let him sleep with us. So I thought I was going to catch up from the five-night sleep I didn't get the rest of the week. Saturday morning, I got him up and took him to American Family Care. He had a severe ear infection. The oldest one with the arm in the cast has walking pneumonia. I said, you got to be kidding me. Can't catch a break here. I feel like Paul the Apostle when he said... My outer man is wasting away. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm flat tired. But let me tell you how I feel in my spirit. My spirit man is being renewed. Let me tell you how I feel inside. I feel go inside. What is legacy for? It's not a time to shrink back but to lunge forward, not to be intimidated by the frustration of the enemy. Then we get here this morning. Go ahead. Give it up. Then we get here this morning to frame all this, and we got it all ready, and we almost dashed you to death. I distinctly remember Dr. Lee standing right here saying to us, this church has a destiny over it, but you got to fight for it. I just came to tell you this morning, I still got some fight in me, and I'm ready to go another lap. We're not backing off. This vision has to be fought for. It has a lot of cost attached to it. There's a prayer cost. There's a physical cost. There's a time cost. There's an energy cost. There's a spiritual cost. There's a financial cost.